little bit louder. Welcome to the Swapflex Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website Swapflex. I have overbooked this episode. <laughs> There's too much to talk about. I kind of wanted to reference the last couple movie watching experiences we had together. Uh-huh. If y'all think we have time for that, because they were definitely strange. Yeah. I mean, we can always cut it out yeah. <laughs> if we want to. <laughs> Well, we did come together to watch two Oliver Twist movies in a week. (laughs) I chose Oliver as our movie of the month. And then 15 minutes into Oliver, I realized it was not the version of Oliver that I had seen. Um, And then everybody just powered down and continued watching the Roman Polanski version. And then we met two days later to watch another two and a half hour version of Oliver. The musical. So. I felt like so smart that week after that because, you know, when I would go into work, people would be like, oh, what did you do last night? I'm like, saw another rendition of all of the clips. <laughs> like, what? And I'm like, oh, you know, the Charles Dickens classic. And they're just like, you know, naming people. Right. And it's like, oh, wow, Britney's smart. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you should pay me more. Like, <laughs> Well, we uh, we found we need to give you a raise, Brittany, because you so m- know so much about Oliver. Uh, simply won't do to pay you what we do. What do they call money in Oliver Twist? Like, oh, it's pounds and um, and like a nickels. note. Yeah, I do not understand British. I don't shillings. know notes and shillings. Yeah. What, what's a pence? What's a shilling? I have no right. clue. I also I saw that Brandon did CC make gruel. No, Brittany made gruel. You made, made gruel. gruel. Oh, I was you like, made gruel. I couldn't tell who that text was from because it was in a group text, so <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure. Because, okay, so y'all's names, y'all have the same initials. So we when yeah, you we show do, up, yeah, so right. I'm always confused about whether it's Brittany Lombas like, or Brandon Lede. Right, who made the gruel? I have to say, gruel does not photograph well. So if you're going to get no. a text message from a friend of the gruel they made. <laughs> well, I have like poor lighting in my apartment. I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, this looks so gross. Yeah. I need to text them immediately. <laughs> I've been eating on it for weeks. So is it just flour and... What do you, how do you make Oh, gruel? I just like smothered cabbage and potatoes and I was an idiot. I'm like, what if I put heavy cream in this with some onions? And then oh. <laughs> it was accidental gruel. I just kept adding <laughs> shit. Uh, amazing. <laughs> it was accidental gruel. I guess gruel. that's how they did it. Just whatever you had handy. Yeah. I, d- I did just want to reference the accidental screening of the Roman Polanski <laughs> Oliver Twist though because it was so bizarre. It was like a heavy raining night. Right. Uh <laughs> The, 15 minutes into the movie <laughs> we should have realized something was up because you were like this is a childhood right. favorite and the movie's yeah. from 2005 and then right. I'm like why would a kid yeah. watch this yeah it's like I was slowly putting the pieces together I was like I don't remember this scene but you know my memory's bad and then I was like wait how old was I in it's, 2005 it's the Oliver this movie is just getting torn up right. like oh, yeah. he's all bloodied and full of like sores right. and stuff yeah in contrast, the musical makes like impoverished living in old England looks seem fun. Great, yeah, yeah. It's yeah if, Pol- if Polanski has a take on it, it's like he's mad at right. Oliver and Company and the musical yeah, totally. for like making it sweet. Like, yeah, he just adapts the book but makes it so grotesque yeah. that it's like almost a joke. Like we were laughing a lot, right. even though it's a really grim movie. Everybody is obsessed with hanging Oliver. They're yeah. like, oh see that boy hang yet. <laughs> yeah. Rough. If you have the stomach to watch a Polanski movie from the two thousands, yeah. uh, you know it was okay. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. I actually like his movies, but I didn't particularly, I mean, this wasn't a good Polanski. So just yeah. keep that in mind. I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I did. It was, it was fine. Yeah. I did. 
Uh, I'm glad that we got to watch it. Yeah. And that musical was, mm, it was oh, yeah. much better. Ooh, it was so, so good. Well, James and I also had a bizarre experience where I came over at like 10 a.m. to drag you to an Indian film. Well, you you told me it was going to be long. Right. So I was like, well, let's just go to the earliest show possible <laughs> so that it doesn't take up my entire afternoon. And uh, I ended up enjoying myself. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. The movie's called Rahi Shyam. What was bizarre about it was that we did not know that the distributor forewalled the movie. So it was excluded from AMC's like regular pricing scheme. So it was $20 a piece for us to go to this movie. Which I think is the most Whoa. I've ever paid for a movie. Me too. Ever. Film festivals don't cost that much. No. <laughs> Luckily, I had a gift card. Yeah. So I was like, well, how else am I going to use this? <laughs> we were the only people in the theater at 10 a.m. watching this $20 movie. <laughs> A $40 experience. Yes. Amazing. It's like a Bollywood romantic comedy. <laughs> the first half is. First half, which was fine. Yeah. But it really goes bonkers in the second half. Yeah. Pre-intermission, it's about this like palm reader who's the Einstein of palmistry. Mm-hmm. And he uh, falls in love with this doctor who is um, really into adrenaline rushes of like almost dying. She like hangs off this train to like feel a thrill. The two of them are not fated to be together, but they decide that they're going to like reject their fate. They're going to ignore his palm readings mm. and like make it happen. And then post intermission, them making it happen is so violent and over the top. There's just violent car accidents and this huge like Titanic set piece where this guy is fighting a tsunami on a sinking ship. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild. Fucking insane. Yeah, <laughs> I like to like not having any walls. Anyone else in the theater? I just would became totally unhinged, just like howling <laughs> it on. Yeah, and the and the way the film ends with him like in tatters, proposing to her. He's like, "I just beat up a tsunami for you," and she's like in a wheelchair with bandages, and uh, love is painful. Yeah, I don't know if it was worth twenty dollars, but I, I found the experience very fun. I'm definitely more excited to go see RRR this weekend, but I can't convince you to spend another 15 on that one. So that one might be by myself. RRR? <laughs> yeah, it's got a like a longer Does that stand title. stand for anything? Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it without and having it written it, down in front of me. the fact that it's like over three hours. Oh, yeah. Um, From the guy who directed sell. Bahubali 1 and 2, which are like very popular films. I mean, that that is a better value, technically. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, like two movies in one almost. Right. Yeah. Maybe they'll have a longer intermission, too, because they gave us no time to pee than the one we watched. <laughs> That's the stuff we've been watching together. What else have y'all been watching since the last time we talked? Um, I've watched a ton of movies Ooh. because um, I went to a what I like to call a meme queen movie night. <laughs> um, two friends and myself for like maybe five or six years, we um, have a text group where we just text memes and we've kept it going for that long. But we have movie nights and we watched a ton of stuff. So um, I do want to talk about real quick. I don't want to talk about them because we talked about these movies a little bit prior. But I finally got to watch both of the Venom movies. Ooh. Oh. And they're really good. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to like them. And it was so much fun. I like the I'm first a one a lot. I like the first. I like the second one, too. It was still goo. It was the second one was like goofier where yeah. I know like a lot of people probably hated it. But I love that. But we also watched Turning Red, which is that new oh, Disney movie. Yeah. yeah. So it was on the list and I'm like, okay, like, are we really watching this? But it was so funny. Like it's um, a 
Asian Canadian movie. And it was directed by Pixar's like first like female, well, sole female director. And she's also Asian and Canadian. Um, and she kind of like based this like um, off her life a little bit, but it takes place in like the early 2000s. And the main character is this like fun, funny, like preteen. And she has like a Tamagotchi that she carries mm-hmm. around. And her and her friends are obsessed with this like boy band called Four Town. And long story short, like she's going through puberty and her family has this hereditary sort of curse where when they are going through puberty and they can't control their emotions, they turn into like a panda and she turns into this like big fluffy red panda. And um, at the same time, she's going through, it's like a metaphor for like puberty and your period. So there's like a lot of period talk in this movie and like tampons and pads being thrown around. But like, it it just makes, it normalizes it. (gasps) And it's so good. It's so good. She's like, rebellious but not she's not being punished for being rebellious like which is you don't see that often in like children's movies which i thought was really cool Mm -hmm. and it's super funny like i laughed a lot a lot throughout most of it because it kind of made me cringe in the way that that show pin 15 makes me cringe where i'm like that is me that show's first season was so funny and then the second season is like the cringe is like painful to watch. It just it hurts because I'm like, this is me, this was me, yeah. this was me. Make it stop, but you can't <laughs> stop watching. Um, but I really liked it, and someone uh, I I wrote this down because I thought it was so funny. In one of the reviews, someone referred to it as Pixar's Ladybird for thirteen year old girls. And it kind of <laughs> is a good sell. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I've been watching. What I've been into. I love it. I haven't seen it, but I love that idea, and I love. Movies that normalize and explore the horrifying experience of going through puberty and yes. like grappling with your emotions. It's just, I think that's super important. And I think every person that has had a period has one of those horror stories yeah. about, you know, it's like it happens on a field trip and you don't have anything and you like borrow someone's sweater to wrap. It's just like, so I don't know. We need commiseration. Oh, for sure. And, um, the two friends I watched it with, they're both like new mothers and they're like, yeah, I'm making my kid watch this. (laughs) They're like ready. I'm like, hell yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to and watching. Um, how about you, Anna? I watched a new horror movie. It's I think it's streaming on Hulu, maybe. Yeah, um, called Master. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Oh, Amazon Prime. Oh God, I watched that last night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so it's directed by um, Mariama Diallo, who also directed and wrote some, uh, maybe it's either some episodes or some skits in Random Acts of Flyness, which is like a very cool kind of surrealist anthology like skit show. And um, it is centered on a university in New England. It's like an imaginary university, but it's like a, an Ivy League surrogate. It's called Ancaster. And it is examining the um, lives of these three black women. So a new student that has come to Ancaster who is housed in a dorm where the first black undergraduate for that Uh, university was housed and um, who killed herself and then a faculty member who is trying to get tenure and then another faculty member who has moved into a position as master in the um, university so it's like 
the last step basically towards becoming like president. So it's there is like a um, witch story um, and every all of the black women on campus are like like the film focuses on microaggressions and like the really alienating experience of being alone and like surrounded by um, white people who who don't really have consideration for your experience. Um, it's been compared a lot to Get Out. I thought it was pretty good. Um, the storylines are a little disjointed, but I still liked it. I also related to the um, setting of a university. They like in the middle of this movie, they have their Ancaster's like diversity initiative advertisement, mm-hmm. and it was like it just made me cringe um, <laughs> because of you know these initiatives are being like sparked all across the U.S. and I've been involved in the version of that that is happening at my university and it was like felt really gross like how similar those two things were like kind of filled with these moves that are not going to i mean it's basically like a lot of show like we're gonna have visiting lecturers and we're gonna do cultural competence training um so i don't know i thought it was like a very interesting entry into like racial social horror that's a pretty good smart thing for a university too to like be haunted by their own past. Right, exactly. Yeah. They did, did that a little bit in that um, Black Christmas remake a couple years ago, too. There's like a scene in that movie that like shook me. So the main character, she's like, isn't there like, an, there's another black girl on campus? Yeah, there is. She's but like she an never, older. Yeah. Yeah, and they kind of connect very briefly. Well, the main character goes to this party and it's all these like white yeah. frat boys and sorority <gasps> yes. girls. Mm-hmm. And then... They're playing music and she's just like kind of dancing and then all of a sudden they switched it. They switched it to like a really like aggressive rap song. Yeah. That's like has the N-word in it and the, everybody is surrounding her mm-hmm. and screaming the lyrics out. Yeah. yeah. And then the lights turn like this red color yeah. and then she kind of just stops dancing and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. It, it's like it's terrifying. And it feels like you're seeing it through her lens so much. Yeah. And it, it feels suffocating. Yeah. I think that was like one of the best scenes. Yeah. I thought that was, it reminded me a little bit of that scene from Force Majeure when they're all like partying. But <laughs> this was, yeah, this was like, it feels really aggressive and violent. Yeah. I thought it was very effective. Yeah. Uh, and Regina Hall plays so the, the master. And I love Regina Hall. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, it's streaming. I th- I would recommend that people go watch it. Uh, James, what have you been watching? I did finally catch the new Adrian Lin. Uh, I saw that Deep Water. <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions about it. Same. So it's based off of a book, but it stars Ben Affleck and Ana de Armos. They're like this really well-to-do couple. It's set in New Orleans too, which is always cool. And it feels like very New Orleans. Like I noticed specific bars and parks and streets. But anyway, he's a um, super rich guy, retired early because he built a computer chip that helps drones drone warfare? to find people, which, okay, fine. <laughs> but essentially, he's a cuck. His wife openly makes out with people, flirts with men in front of him, and there's this very 
weird dynamic where he gets very jealous, but also kind of turned on by this a little bit. And eventually some of her lovers start disappearing, ending up murdered. And then the film kind of repeats itself a lot. It's like a routine they have where like, I feel like the tension the whole time is just like, what's their deal? That like, is the tension. Yeah. yeah. Cause the tension is not in the mystery. We know pretty early on, like he's killing. He admits it pretty upfront. He yeah. says it right in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, yeah, the interesting thing is, yeah, watching the relationship and like Brandon said, like what, it, first of all, I was asking myself, like, is this sexy? And then also like, what exactly is this? I thought it was a pretty flawed movie, but especially towards the end, it really dials up the camp factor. It almost feels like they cut out, they cut out some scenes or something. It's and it, so messy. It becomes like incoherent. It abruptly ends. I feel right. like with like no real yeah. resolution. And then you have um, Tracy Letts in there, <laughs> <laughs> who I love his character in this movie. He's just like convinced like that guy's a killer. And at the end, he like catches him as he's literally like putting a body like back into the water with a stick. <laughs> he chases him down on a bike. He's trying to text and damn autocorrect. And he ravines like <laughs> off of a cliff in New Orleans off of a cliff. Which right. I don't know where that yeah. gorge was. Right. And then <laughs> the famous New Orleans gorge. And then, <laughs> one of the most interesting parts for me, though, is like the relationship with the daughter who <laughs> she's basically like in a family of psychopaths and she is a little psychopath. Yeah. And at the end, she throws the mom's suitcase in the water. <laughs> You've, uh, you have not mentioned Ben Affleck's um, most intimate relationship his in the film with his snails. But the snails don't really amount to much. That's not true. The snails were, there's this scene where he has the snails on his fingers and there's like light illuminating them. I was like, that is the sexiest snail I've ever seen. But I guess what I'm saying, like, I thought it was going to be integral to the plot. Like, is he going to feed snails to someone? Is he going to... Is she going to get back at him by killing his snails? And a better the snails version are just of, there. A better version of this movie, he is like the Willard of snails. <laughs> like, unleashes <laughs> yeah. them on his, right, like, that would uh, be. victims. But. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. Overall, I had fun with it. I don't think it was very good. But there is a nugget of really, like, campy, trashy, erotic melodrama in there that I kind of dug. And, like, I did dig, like, watching Ben Affleck sulk I know some people like don't like, but I like it. I think it's entertaining. He's just like sulking while his wife is fucking yeah. men right in front of and his she's eyes. she's infuriating in like the best way too. She, like, yeah. She's like very aggressive and like upsetting. You almost want to like stop it. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. She comes home drunk every night <laughs> right. and she's like, oh, go put our daughter to bed. And she's going downstairs right. with a man. And all this like tension in Ben Affleck the whole time is just like, you can see the rage boiling God, up i haven't seen this movie but i know like ben affleck has the face to do this stuff right oh yeah his, yeah. his mouth is like it's like some people when they frown their mouth looks like a little bracket just like the very <laughs> edge his, his lips like, get thinner and thinner yeah, and, it's like and when he does invisible when he finally turns on the full-on psychopath it is like uh, it's good it's well acted and it is kind of erotic but it's a mess it's i think a big adrian mess. line is the like weak link here like all the actors doing great yeah. work I remember when we recorded our erotic thriller episode that was just his movies, like, I didn't like any of them. Like, a lot of them were, like, interesting, but not quite good. 
And I just, I don't know why I keep coming back expecting him to make a great film. I've heard Jacob's Ladder is like the one I'm missing, but like, mm, did he yeah. do Jacob's? Ladder? Yeah. Oh, and Flashdance, which I also want to see. But see, I like those two. I re- I like Fatal Attraction. I have issues with the ending, but and I I really liked I really liked Indecent Proposal. So I'm like a fan of his work. This to me is like middle tier. I don't know. After watching Basic Instinct, like I feel like Verhoeven with any one of his movies would have made each one like a five star classic. Yeah, and like, yeah. I agree. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, Verhoeven's like one of my favorite, right. direct, you know, but um, I, I would definitely recommend people check it out. It's it's kind of a hoot. Doesn't Tracy Letts yell like, this is a movie yeah. at some when he's barreling? Well, he's a novelist who like right. um, is like hoping that something interesting in his life <laughs> right. will happen. And then he finds this like snail killer. Right. He's right. like super excited. About this it. is a movie. <laughs> uh, I know. So what about you, Brandon? What you been watching? I mean, I was going to rattle off all of the movies that I watched preparing for the Oscars um, because when the nominations were announced, I had seen three films and didn't particularly care about any of the mm-hmm. three I had seen. So I've spent the last like month or two watching 10 Oscar-nominated movies. I will not bore y'all with all of these. <laughs> I'm just going to point out the one that I liked the most, mm-hmm. which was Parallel Mothers. Um, from ah, yes. Almodovar, who we've talked about on the show a lot. Yeah. Um, you might have even brought this movie up before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yep. I, we've talked yeah, we about talked it a little it. bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's back in the theater this weekend in New Orleans and probably other AMC theaters because they do those um, just kind of like Oscar fan favorites, they call them. They do like a second run before yeah. the ceremony. I thought it was excellent. You know, it, it's two movies in one. It's like this very blatant political statement about uh, mass graves from like Franco's Spain. Mm-hmm all these like defectors who were just killed, like rounded up in these villages killed. And then their families never recovered their individual bodies, Mm -hmm. but they know where their relatives were buried, like just outside of town. And then there's this other melodrama between these two women who have babies at the same time. One is played by Penelope Cruz, who is nominated for best actress, Mm -hmm. not going to win, but probably my favorite (laughs) performance um, from any actress I can name last year. Just off the top of my head. And the complaint I saw a lot was that the two movies don't really have a lot to do with each other. And I don't know. I I found it fascinating. Like what happens is the two women's lives get so intertwined, like whose baby is whose and like where they stand with each other and what their relationship means. And like, they're just so tangled and it's like so complicated in the way that Almodovar always does. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, it's very deceptive watching his movies. They seem very simple. And then by the end, you're like, wait, this person knows this other person like s- several different complicated ways. And it's yeah. all like morally icky and like convoluted. And the thing that clicked for me was like the way that both halves of the movie are settled is in the same DNA test. There's this like mouth swab test mm-hmm. that detangles the two pregnancies and detangles the mass graves. And I don't think it's an easy metaphor, but like what I pulled away from it was like, these people cannot settle their relationships and like settle their like peace in their like families until these things are separated and dealt with. Mm -hmm. And like anything good in their lives is like blocked by this like mess of just like anonymity and confusion. And I can't put it in any clearer words than that, but I, I thought it was very powerful and like a good movie. And I mean, I've complained when we did 
pain and glory. I was like, maybe he's out of ideas. Yeah. But this is him going back to like all about my mother and Volver and like the ones that we really loved. And I thought it was another great trip around the, uh, the track uh, for that. Just, just heaving sobs yeah. <laughs> in the theater. I thought it was so good. Yeah. And I, you know, to add on to what you said, I do think it is concerned with, um, the truth of personal history and collective and community history. And, you know, Penelope Cruz's character um, is dedicated to providing closure to her family about the, the truth of their um, ancestors. And um, she is given the opportunity to keep withhold that truth from somebody else um, for her own personal benefit. And but she like does the hard thing and um you know brings truth to light basically which is what this mass grave is doing also yeah she's like pushing for the government to do that for her right but she delays doing it herself yeah exactly yeah and i really like that you know it's like it's it is so obvious when you are seeking the truth about your life and your family that, that you want it to be uncovered but then you know, it it's harder in a personal circumstance, especially when you're the only person that has the power to, yeah. like, reveal the truth. Um, and, you know, she makes her decisions and uh, <laughs> just is so, so heartbreaking. And I love it. And um, Brandon got me the Parallel Mothers poster and it is a treasured possession. <laughs> I love Almodovar so much. I think you would really like that movie, Brittany. Uh, if you could catch it while it's like playing for one more week. Yeah, I had it on my watch list, so I didn't know it was in theaters. One again, more week. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Go get. Go Which, get there. That's like what the Oscars are useful for to me. Like, I don't think they're a mechanism for like highlighting the best movies of the year, really. But they make me watch movies because it's like one week out of the year when people are talking about stuff that's not superhero movies or like talking animal films like you have like one week where people will talk about other stuff Mm -hmm. and i use that as an excuse to watch stuff so i cleared like 10 movies that i was interested in anyway like i i I probably would have waited like years to catch up with like nightmare alley or licorice pizza or Mm -hmm. something if the oscars weren't like an impetus to like see it soon right so i think it's useful for that and then obviously money like people who win awards have a much easier time getting their next project. Yeah. So maybe your favorite movie like Titan is not going to get Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. Obviously it didn't. So it's just not going to. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's not what you should look forward to. But like if a movie you do enjoy gets like if power of the dog wins awards, then, you know, Jane Campion's next project is like much easier for her to get off the ground. Right. And she hasn't made a movie, I think in like 10 years or something like that. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I think it's like useful as an industry moment. Um, also, y'all are invited to come over and watch it and eat pizza and drink <gasps> champagne, which is fun in itself. I'm coming. It's like sports yelling, you know? I'm already there. <laughs> uh, last time we watched it all together was when Parasite won. That was yeah, a fun Yeah, that was so great. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to do an Oscars episode because obviously my brain has been wrapped up in this stuff for a while. Um, what I ended up picking was not something where we would like try to predict winners or like get into discourse because mm-hmm. that's not what the show's like very good at. Uh, <laughs> we're not like on the pulse of <laughs> film discourse. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to look at the best director category and just watch older films from those directors. So we could just kind of think about the people who are being highlighted this year. Um, and we ended up coming up with a pretty interesting range of films, I think. Yeah. They're all kind of like, 
straightforward genre movies from these people. But that's a relative term, depending on who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So some people go more hard on the genre tropes than others. (laughs) And we're going to start with Jane Campion because she is pretty much obviously going to win this week. (laughs) Hopefully she gives a better acceptance speech if she does. Yes. She definitely put her foot in her mouth recently. (sighs) It's been a roller coaster ride with her. Yep. (laughs) We can talk about that. Good. (laughs) Because there are definitely race issues in the movie we we picked for this episode too. And all that's coming up to you right Right now. now. Well, when I was a student, which doesn't feel like so very long ago, I used to feel deeply cynical about award nights like this. But um, tonight, I'm, I'm really overwhelmed. In fact, I've been close to tears a few times. Well, we did talk about Jane Campion's Power of the Dog when we did our Best of the Year episode, and it ended up making our top 10 list because of you three, actually. <laughs> y- good one. Y'all were the ones it that voted good. for it. I liked it. I had never seen another Jane Campion film, so... Yeah, it was a first for me, too, which is kind of odd. Like, I guess her movies just always sound rough. Like, yeah. I, I've been wanting to see sure. the piano for a long time, but I just like, yeah. can't imagine sitting down to put myself oh, through it. Oh, she did the piano. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that one. Yeah. That's good. I think she won a Best Screenwriting Oscar for that movie. Okay. Um, And she was nominated for director. And because of that, uh, Power of the Dog is like the first time a woman has been nominated twice for Best Director, which mm. is oh. pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> pretty that's embarrassing. Bad. Yikes. But when we talked about Power of the Dog, I liked it. But I was thinking, like, I want to see a movie in a genre I enjoy more than Westerns, like, to see if there's something more to my taste mm-hmm. from her. Um, and In the Cut is an erotic thriller from 2003. There we go. It seemed like an obvious <laughs> way to go. <laughs> uh, it's also on Netflix until the end of March. So yeah. if you want to see it, it's widely available Yeah, right I now. got that warning, too, when I played it. It was like, <laughs> this is leaving on March 31st. <laughs> so bold. God, I'm already here. What do you want? <laughs> It was not well received in 2003 when it came out. And I think I understand why. Like, Hannah actually lent me this book called um, Undressing the Erotic Thriller, Sexy Thrills Mm -hmm. um, by Nina K. Martin. Yeah. Uh, It's a academic look at direct-to-video erotic thrillers. (laughs) And it was written not long after this movie came out. And she's specifically looking at the large market of erotic thrillers that were going direct to DVD in the early 2000s. And that's like the main in for me watching this is like this movie feels so out of place in like so many different ways. The erotic thrillers heyday was like in the 80s and 90s. This is in the almost the mid 2000s. So it's like weird that it's even in theaters. Um, I think Adrian Lyne's last movie was around then too. Uh, Unfaithful. Ooh, that's oh, a good man. one. Yeah. God, Diane Lane. <laughs> Also, it's out of place because Nicole Kidman was supposed to star in it and um, had to drop out for other contractual reasons. And they replaced her with Meg Ryan, but styled her to look exactly like Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And she's acting like her as well. Like, it's an uncharacteristic Meg Ryan performance. It's very strange. Yeah. So the movie just feels like off in a weird way to me. Um, yeah. You're not used to seeing this genre in that 2000s... Um, Reminds me of like a David Fincher thriller or something. Yeah, like, it's very green. Yeah, those like fluorescent lit rooms yeah. that are like kind of sickly office yeah. spaces and like mm-hmm. oversaturated, like almost sepia Soderbergh yeah. kind of sepia tone Very stuff. Yeah. shallow depth of focus. Yeah, so yeah. Everything's so much like, out of focus. Yeah. I thought the focus worked for it more than some of those other things mm-hmm. too. Because like what the focus does is it's very antiqued, like one part of the frame is extremely in focus and everything around yeah. it just gets blurry and blurrier. Yeah. Erotic focus. Yeah. I feel like oh. in the like sex scenes, it focuses on one detail at a time. Yeah. It'll like focus on 
his hand and like that is eroticized and it's like where your eye is like directed to look well, and wow. that and that worked that was one of the only things that really worked for me style wise about this was how it is getting into the character's state of mind too yeah uh, you know kind of questioning reality and the world around so that that totally works and i brought up the book that you lent me um specifically because it talks about how it's like a woman's genre but it's often directed and marketed by men mm-hmm. so like even if a novel like the patricia highsmith novel that um deep water was uh, yeah. based off of then you have adrian line directing it so like it's like always filtered through like a male artist and then here you have a female written novel directed by jane campion and i feel like the eroticism is focused on that perspective and like you said it's like very like in meg ryan's head the whole time and it feels pretty legit like you don't get a lot of like on-screen depictions of cunnilingus for as long as you get in this movie it was a good depiction yeah yeah (laughs) mark ruffalo is extremely hot as (laughs) the evil cop (laughs) that she's uh falling in love with uh he's got this like 70s porn stash Mm -hmm. he's like very direct in his um dialogue with her where like it's towing the line of like being too aggressive but it is Mm -hmm. very like commanding and confident in a way that you know she finds sexy and I think the audience is supposed to as well. It's also, you know, I, th- I think of that scene kind of in the beginning where he says, I can be anything you want me to be, you know, so it is confident, but it's also kind of like a sublimation to her, which is like, and, and her, him going down on her too. It was yeah. like all focused on her and what she wanted. And then there's the aftercare of after the time they have sex, he like, tells her the story of like the older woman right. who trained <laughs> him as a teenager rape. Yeah. in the ways of God. like female pleasure yeah which is an icky scene and this is like generally an icky movie like very icky it's in that um genre i love of someone is made intensely horny by something they know is going to kill them <laughs> nicole kidman is at a bar she's a nicole kidman i'm gonna i'm probably gonna do that a bunch of times i'm sorry but meg ryan's at a bar uh with her student she's like a literary professor she goes to the bathroom and witnesses a blowjob in the stairwell and is sort of like stunned by it and it turned on and just sort of freezes and watches the entire interaction. Later, there's a cop on her doorstep played by Muck Ruffalo who tells her that there were human remains found in her yard um, and she finds out through details of the case that that was the woman performing the blowjob that she saw. And she's also convinced that he was the man receiving the blowjob at that bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she is convinced on and off, like kind of wavers a little bit that he killed this woman, but she also finds him so sexy that she's okay pursuing this cop. And the cop is gross. Like, I feel like if this movie has any like morality lessons, it's like, just don't date cops. They're violent and terrifying. I mean, all the, all the men in this movie are pretty awful. Don't date anybody. Well, not just all the cops, like uh, every, yeah. Every male she comes across is dangerous on some level i feel like there's like a lot of scenes of them driving her around new york too where like every corner they turn there's like a woman running away Mm. from something like it's definitely like a grimy new york even though it's like i don't know i guess post 9 11 yeah it was um i think wasn't it the first movie that was allowed to be filmed in new york after 9 11 i didn't know i think i read that somewhere yeah i'm gonna say it's true it feels just nasty yeah uh, a way that the city probably hadn't been since like the late 80s right and eventually this um just comes to a head like she's uh convinced he's the killer 
it's a little too obvious that he is uh like right. it's like there's no other like suspect that's that satisfying right um and then you know i don't know if we want to spoil who the killer actually is but like it's more about their like back and forth where like the danger of the sex is what um makes it exciting and taboo mm-hmm she also has a really fucked up relationship with her black student. Yeah. Uh, and that's the like icky race stuff I was referencing when you were talking about her putting her foot in her mouth at the uh, like whatever acceptance speech she yeah. like shaded. The Screen Actors Guild. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. The Williams sisters. Yeah. Well, and also there. I mean, she uh, is half sisters with Jennifer Jason Lee, who is um, a dancer. And there are a few black strippers. So, it, I don't know, just the whole way that black people were used in this movie was very strange. And you have Patrice O'Neill playing a gay pimp. He's a, he was like a very famous comedian. And yeah. Like, yeah. But like, I, I don't get any of the black characters. They have no all. depth. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo says like, oh, that the way to flirt with a black girl is to like, just stare at them or something. It's It's like... I don't know how she felt about those characters at all or what she was trying and, to and do. And the student does attempt to rape yeah. her. Yeah. Pretty much out of nowhere. It's strange. Yeah. It's all bad. There's a lot, for some reason, there's like a lot of things in this movie that just feel like it's trying to fit, like a puzzle piece trying to fit into where it doesn't fit. Like the idea of it's cool, but like Meg Ryan, I don't know if I've ever seen her in like a role like this, but she's so like, bland in a way where very subdued but like everyone is like everyone's just like dull i don't know if you don't find mark ruffalo sexy i could see that happening (laughs) but i feel like he actually is like this like white hot center for the film i didn't find him hot in this movie okay i don't know i'm so into mark ruffalo (laughs) just in general so i was yeah i think it's just like the mustache i mean i like the way he looks now because he's all like grizzly manny um, but I don't know. I sort of agree with Brittany in that it felt really disjointed and weird and yeah. off. And yeah, but I do fever dream. Think thinking about it afterwards was more interesting than when I was actually watching it. Like the way that it plays around with noir and like how it's always yeah. like the damsel in distress that goes to the the cop to like solve the mystery, and in here it's like. This woman who's surrounded by danger, including the cops, and like everyone kind of has this like darkness about it. it. Just seems to take a lot of those tropes and like turn it on its head and like look at it through a feminist lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the danger of being a woman and wanting love and connection and kind of always being afraid of the consequences of that. Like, um, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee is says, oh, I, you know, I want to be married for my mom. Like, I, I hope I can get married someday. And like her mother got pregnant by Meg Ryan's father. But like Jennifer Jason Lee's mother was never married to him. And he was married like five different times. Oh, and the killer has this calling card of like giving wedding rings to the people that he murders. So there is like tied into this desire for intimacy like a real danger and i do yeah. feel like women feel that i guess so, yeah it's like um like for a woman like you said the man can just sort of up and leave and marry five different women but woman has this like 
I don't know, to be afraid of a man and then to trust him and then be afraid that he could hurt you or, you know, there's like this danger always sort of lurking around. We didn't even mention um, her ex lover who she made had sex with like three times or something played <laughs> yeah. by Kevin Bacon. Just the most unhinged. Oh, Kevin he Bacon in this movie. <laughs> God about him. But she just, he just stalks her for like right. His no dog? reason. But it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's like Jane Campion like didn't give him any direction. Right. Just like act like a creep. Be yeah. his creep. And that's just yell uh, what he does. Stalker. Man, he's weird in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and he's he's good at that though. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Um, the wedding ring thing. I kept thinking about that. Like, this guy has like wedding rings that look like they're worth thousands of dollars. <laughs> Does he just have like a bunch in his pocket for every like? All right, I gotta get one ready for the next woman I'm gonna kill. Well, if he's a cop, he could be stealing from like evidence lockers <gasps> or like crime scenes. Oh, I stuff. didn't think about that. Yeah, but yeah, I, I thought the commitment thing was interesting at the very end too, where he. She comes back to the apartment. He's literally like handcuffed. Yeah. It's like they're in it now, like committed. So that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of this stuff, thinking back on it later, it's like, man, that was an interesting movie, but I didn't really enjoy watching it. So I don't know how to feel about it. I think it's that. a deeply uncomfortable watch, like some ways intentionally and some ways not. Deep in the cut. Mm. I actually really liked it, but it's a slimy genre. Like It is a slimy movie. That yeah. is a good way to say it. Like I felt like dirty after I watched it. Also, like some of the scenes were like um, that one in particular where they find like the body. I think it's like in a laundromat area or oh, something. Disgusting. It's just so gross. There's yeah. like blood and bleh all over, mm-hmm. and it's like it has that weird, nasty, dirty tone to yeah. it. <laughs> and the second you meet Jennifer Jason Lee, you know that's her fate too. You're like, oh god, you're a victim. Yeah, she's so sad. So sad. <laughs> already done. Yeah, I also thought the dialogue was really funny because it was really pulpy but like the english teacher version of that like (laughs) she reads these poems very softly on the subway and like my mom was an english teacher and that was totally the kind of girl i was in high school in like a very (laughs) cringy way so it just was like it was so bad like it was so overwritten the like the cop was like do you know the word isthmus like no and i don't know people do not talk this way (laughs) it was yeah it was very funny as I was saying earlier about how it plays with the noir thing, like usually in noirs, it's the man who's like waxing philosophical and he's got a cigarette and he's, you know, three drinks in and pontificating. And here it's sort of the same thing, but it's through the lens of like kind of like an English teacher, someone that's obsessed with language yeah. and poetry. Yeah. And I, I don't know, some something about that I thought was pretty interesting too. One of the arguments in that um, erotic thriller book is like, women aren't as visually excited based on how erotica is marketed, Mm -hmm. but you cannot tell if that is legitimate or if that's just like what is offered to them through the marketing. So like I found that balance interesting. Like the movie has a very literary touch and it's a lot about like verbal exchange between the two of them. And supposedly that's what women are supposed to want in movies. But then it's also very visually explicit. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though this is like a woman genre, supposedly like, their sex scenes are pretty like there's a lot of flesh on the screen right you see his dick yeah uh, <laughs> so i don't know i found that tension very interesting just because i was like reading the book at the same time that i watched the movie as well wow i don't know i liked this a lot it sounds like y'all were a little more mixed on it yeah when me and james finished we were like what was that movie and then we were talking about it and we we're like oh right. i don't know yeah okay <laughs> it's okay that was yeah it was interesting 
The only thing we haven't referenced is her, um, when you're talking about like the commitment stuff, is her flashbacks to her parents ice oh. skating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Weird. she has that like whole Guy Madden, like, right. again, more sepia tone uh, version yeah. of the past. Oh, that scene where she's ice skating and she cuts up her sister. Like she's ice skating and like she cuts her head off with the uh, with her ice skates yeah. and like yeah. she just keeps like chopping her body up. It's like what the what the hell is this? I feel like that was signaling some kind of like sense of humor to the thing, but like right. it was weird, so very strange. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unsettling. It's a difficult movie to pin down. I think. Mm-hmm. Also, it has one of the weirdest like bringing you down to the station scenes. He's been trying <laughs> to get her to look at this list of this like oh so she's mugged. And Mark Ruffalo is trying to get her to the station to look at pictures of suspects. So she's down there. They fi- he kind of like leaves her alone with this other cop. She's looking at these pictures. And then the other cop just whips out a guitar and starts playing extremely badly. And then Mark <laughs> Ruffalo is like, it's too loud in here. Let's go. And then they just like drive to a river. That felt like basic cable trash like yeah. that scene. <laughs> which is kind of like what this movie should have been considering when it came out but it, yeah you know, instead it has movie stars in it and it got terrible reviews because it played in theaters yeah, yeah. and a wiener so one wiener. That is like one wiener one movie stars wiener. will never be on tv and no erection you know yeah i always find that weird that like we're still hung up on that like you cannot show an erect penis on screen that's true mm. i don't think i've ever seen one that's like in a movie like that but i wonder in how much film. of that is the male actors not wanting to Show no, it's all an, the goods. It's an MPAA thing. Oh, is it? Yeah, like they won't clear a movie for distribution. I think even like whatever NC-17 or X rating you can give, like they won't even give that. Really? Um, yeah, I don't know what that's so about. So if I go and I look for all the erect penises in movies, they're all going to have that rating? You're going to find them in France and not in the Amer- America. Oh, the French. <laughs> Maybe that could be our next podcast episode. <laughs> I can find some. <laughs> I can recommend some. <laughs> I'm watching that show Minx on um, HBO Max oh, right now. Yeah, yeah. It's very good, but it's like, you know, about the first female marketed porno magazine. Mm-hmm. And no, um, no boners. Dicks. No, they're dicks. Oh, no, no, bu- no erect They're dicks. dicks, but they're all pointed downwards. Uh, right. <laughs> Sad. Sad. No uh, good. Elephant weenies. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> elephant weenies. I've never heard wow. that Wow. That's <laughs> such a great... That's what it is. No, I got no, it. You're right. No, you're right. <laughs> I got you're it. You're right. You're, you're not wrong. You're right. I haven't seen Duel in a long time, but I mean, my memory of Duel as a film is that I was really proud of it. I look back at it, number one, saying, how did I get all those shots in 12 or 13 days? How was that possible? To this day, I, I don't think I could do it again. If I had to go back right now, and recreate Duel in 12, 13 days, I couldn't do it, it'd be impossible. I think I was so hungry back then, I was so ambitious, I was so excited about having been given this chance, I was so thankful to the studio, especially George Eckstein and Wally Worsley for supporting me in this. I even used Wally Worsley, he came in and he did other movies, he did E.T. with me. So I look back at it and say I couldn't do it that way again today, and I'm probably too smart to have done it that way again, which means a lot of the spontaneity would be left out. I would be the Europeans analyzing Duel and putting all those different levels of interpretation into it now. I think I'd be too headstrong about telling that story again. So sometimes you have to look back and say, you know, those early films are a mark and a measure of who I was back then. For the order here, I looked at Vegas betting odds websites. I I actually don't put any stock into like, Oscar bloggers, like who's going to win stuff. 
Um, so I looked at like a couple Vegas betting websites. I looked at like DraftKings yeah. and like Vegas oh, Insider. Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sports betting <laughs> for the Oscars. Vegas knows. Basically, Jane Campion is going to win Best Director this weekend, but. For the ranking of the other ones, most to least likely is how yeah. we like structure the rest of the episode. And the next likely person to win, according to Vegas gambling addicts, is uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, who has won Oscars before, obviously. What, what's the Steven Spielberg movie that's being nominated? Oh, West Side okay. Story. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, but yeah, I snatched Spielberg when we were um, going through the selections for this episode and the movie that I selected is Duel. So Duel used to play a lot on TNT. So I don't know if you remember like back in like super huge like cable days. There was like TNT, TBS, and USA. I feel like this always played on like TNT and USA. Didn't Jaws used to play a lot on one of those channels as well? <gasps> yes. Yeah. Oh, Spielberg. I didn't <laughs> realize that. So Duel is from 1971, and prior to this, like, Steven Spielberg directed a couple of, like, television shows in a series, like Columbo, and I can't think of another example, but there were a few. So this was a made-for-TV movie that eventually got, like, a theatrical release, and it's a thriller, and if anything, like, if you're thinking of, like, a movie that shows, like, you know, Americana, I'm like... Not Paris, Texas. That's not it. <laughs> it's dual. So Dennis Weaver is this gentleman who is going on a business trip. And we don't know what kind of business he does or anything like that. We just know that he is driving through the desert in this like tiny little like Plymouth car. Well, as he's going through the desert in the beginning, before he meets his match, he has this like conversation like with his wife on the phone and you can kind of tell like there's like some tense stuff happening in their relationship like something happened at like a party where like she felt like she was practically almost raped in front of everybody yeah, someone was like groping her and he yeah. didn't like come to her defense and he wouldn't defend her and he was like you know kind of brushing it off you know they added eight minutes to the movie when they made the theatrical version and that was one of the scenes they added was the conversation was with his one? wife well i think that is so important i didn't know that yeah. was the one they added because like <laughs> You really get to know this guy. He's not likable at all. Um, and that makes him like less likable for sure. So he's in that situation with his wife. And then while he's out on the road, there is this disgustingly nasty, <laughs> like rusty 18 wheeler that just looks like it came out of hell that is kind of stalking him. So at first he's trying to pass the 18 wheeler up and they're going through the, it's like, you know, the desert so it's just like a you know a two-lane road and it's super narrow and he's trying to pass this 18-wheeler up and the 18-wheeler like swerves to prevent him from passing it up constantly and then the one time that it like doesn't do that and he thinks he's passing the 18-wheeler up he like almost hits head on with a car well he eventually like makes his way in front of the 18-wheeler and then the 18-wheeler kind of starts to creep up on him and tailgate him. And then he's going like, I don't know, he's going like 80 miles an hour for a good, like 10 minutes straight. And there's no way for me to like, truly describe how it feels watching it. Cause it sounds boring, but it is so high intent, like so much high intensity, like where the camera frame is like, you're in the car with them and you're like looking in the back of the rear view mirror and you see this like monster truck 
creeping up behind you super fast. And I've like, I didn't know that 18 wheelers could go that fast. I feel like a lot of people describe it as like Jaws with a truck. Yeah. But the difference though is like Jaws is tense because you don't see the shark for a lot of the movie. Yeah, this would be like if Jaws, like the shark was like attacking you the entire <laughs> <whole runtime>. time. <laughs> well, he eventually like cuts off the road into a parking lot of this diner that looks like a white castle a little bit. He stops there, kind of collects himself and orders a, hmm, a Swiss cheese sandwich on rye. R-Y-E, he spells it out <laughs> because, like, he's such a dick. Like, yeah, you know, he's, he's doing it because he thinks so that rude. these people are stupid. Yeah. And also, I think that he was, like, a he's a vegan in real life. I looked into this. I'm like, who orders a, a Swiss cheese sandwich? <laughs> like, that's strange. But he's he was, like a like, a hippie in a way before, like, hippies became, like, a huge thing. And very healthy guy. I love this scene so much because there's a bunch of like burly like trucker men sitting at the bar with these brown boots and like the camera pans and zooms in on all of the boots. So it's I don't know, like somebody was getting horny watching that for sure. <laughs> the way they did it. It was a very sexual gaze. And he's he's trying to figure out which one of them is the truck driver because in the parking lot is like the nasty spooky truck. He approaches someone and threatens him. It ends up not being the guy. And then we just like don't know who's driving this truck. So he gets back in his car, continues his journey, runs into a school bus <laughs> with a bunch of rotten little kids that are like broken down. I don't know why they're in the middle of the desert. It makes no sense. And then he's like, the school bus driver's like, hey, can you give my school bus a push with your tiny ass car? <laughs> and he tries. He fails, and then eventually the 18-wheeler comes. Like, it's creeping back again, and it's like, fuck, it's back. And it helps the school bus. So it's like, oh, this is, like, probably a nice guy. He just hates you and wants to kill you. <laughs> I think it's also emasculating, right? Because, like, just like how he's not as yeah. manly as the diner men, he's also, like, unable to push the bus with his little, like, with his tiny car. sports car. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's an actual real truck that, like, can do the man's work. Yeah. I mean, if there's any, like, it kind of reminded me of Straw Dogs a little bit. That Ooh, tension between, Straw like, Dogs. the mm -hmm. city guy and the country. Yeah. And it's like, if there's any theme of the movie, I think that's what it's really about. Yeah. It's, like, emasculation. And he want you know, after his wife is calling him out for that incident, he wants to show her, like, I can stand up and be a man. But really, it's just an excuse for one big hour and a half long car chase. Uh, yeah. Which is awesome. Awesome. It's awesome. Like, no one can deny. But it's just, it keeps going. Like, yeah, I it mean, there's all kinds of shit that happens where, you know, he almost gets pushed into a train while he's waiting. You know, just a constant chase around the Mojave Desert. He gets attacked by rattlesnakes and tarantulas. At like the a, rattlesnake uh, lady. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not snakes. Road, roadside attraction. <laughs> her, that snake was so, so big. I felt so bad for her. I was like. <laughs> and her little, like, coyote. Her whole business. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Was it a fox or something? Desert yeah. fox or coyote or something. I yeah. Oh, it was a coyote. coyote. It was yeah. very cute. Yeah. But at the ending... I don't know if we want to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, go for it. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, he lives and, and the truck crashes yeah. and... He outsmarts it. But it's not satisfying. It's still, like, pathetic. And I love how the movie ends, like, in that way. Like, it's not like a victory. Like, he's not our hero. We're not really rooting for mm -hmm. him. And then at the end where he kind of wins, is just, look. he still looks stupid. You know? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, like, you, you're still dumb. Like, what are you going to do now? 
Now you're in the desert with your fake business. Also, you just killed stuff. a man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love. So the truck. Might have been fucking large Marge. Might have been a woman. The truck <laughs> says flammable like all over it. And you're like, you're waiting I know this truck is going to. It does not explode. Yeah. Bit, maybe they just didn't have the budget. But yeah. that's yeah. a big bummer. Yeah. yeah, that shot though they put a lot of money in filming every second of that. You watch that truck fall off that cliff for like a full minute. Yeah, and, and <laughs> it I was guess beautiful. That's what you know. Obviously, we all know Steven Spielberg and what he's done since, and like he has a technical mastery. But watching this is like first film, like he does so much with very little to go on. I mean, it's really like the script would have said, "Hey, give us one big long car chase," and he somehow does make it interesting yeah. and chooses interesting shots and has little like episodes to keep us engaged. I think the script's kind of brilliant to be honest. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think the budget for this movie was like 400 grand and, and it was like filmed in like 12, 12 days. days. Wow. Yeah. But like what what he does that's so cool is his like super long and wide like panoramic shots where you could see everything for a super long time. Like, it's not like cutting and zooming into stuff. You're just kind of like watching like in a voyeuristic way from afar. It's so cool. But he also like, you know, mounts the camera on the on the dashboard and like, in the he dash. definitely is like over directing it to like show off. And obviously it got him other work afterwards. Um, and it's like yeah. super thrilling and like impressive everything he does with the camera. What I would have liked more of that I found to be like so fun is whenever um, the main character is like talking to himself and like losing his shit where he's like, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm looking <laughs> at you. you know what to do. And I'm like, oh, wow. It was kind of like, like Venom a little bit, like the movie Venom. I thought the script's like <laughs> straightforwardness was like pretty smart. I mean, it was written by Richard Matheson, who I like really enjoy. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm giving it more credit than it deserves. But I mean, it was what it needed to be, I'm just saying, like in the hands of a different director, I don't know if it would have been nearly as thrilling. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like <laughs> it's true. a very yeah. sparse, like to the bones script, and to make something like that engaging for a whole hour and a half, it's like pretty difficult. But yeah, Richard Matheson, he, he wrote um, Incredible Shrinking Man, and he wrote oh, The Box. I love that cool. movie. Uh, and he wrote like a bunch of like Twilight Zone kind mm-hmm. of stuff, and like there's something supernatural about this event. That I feel like fits his normal thing. Well, and like like you said, people compare it to Jaws. And I think it is like Jaws in the sense that we never see the person driving. Right. Right. And that was in the story, too. Yeah. Uh, Like, the story is like, you absolutely cannot show who it is. This makes it scary. Yeah. Right. But, like, it's obvious that the driver was, like, at the diner. Not necessarily. You don't think so? Could have been I chilling in the cab or... Yeah, because yeah, I, I think the, I was the truck... which guy the diner y'all thought it was. Because <laughs> I think the truck leaves while he's still in the diner. Does it? It does. So, like, it's like, was the person right, in the truck just sitting there? Right. But then, like, as you're looking, you can't see it. And I'm like, well, who could it have been in the yeah. diner? Because we didn't... We're not there the whole time. Like, people mm-hmm. could have left. Yeah. And it might have been that, like, wild, blonde, Elizabeth Taylor-looking woman. You know, her. I like to think they weren't in the diner because then he just went in and made a complete fool of himself. Yeah. Like he goes in, he's like, hey, uh, wh- why don't you cut it off, man? The guy's like, what? Like <laughs> he's being polite to him, actually. Like, I have no idea what you're like, talking dude, shut about. Shut up and go eat your yeah. cheese on RYE. Right. And then, then he hits the sandwich out of his hand. And, he, and then he's like, well, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, for him on a pool table. Yeah, like everybody's very yeah. nice to him actually, and he's just totally erratic. I like to imagine that like one of the brown boot guys 
was the driver mm-hmm. and was just like totally setting him up like the whole time and <laughs> yeah. just like indulging and watching him make an ass out of himself. Yeah. I like to think That's of it my more like fantasy. <laughs> uh, the telephone booth movie we watched, La Cabina. You know, oh, like, yeah. It's just like a, I don't know, it just felt just like otherworldly almost. Like the mm-hmm. truck is driving itself right. or right. something. I was thinking about like Christine. Yeah. yeah like sure. it, the truck like itself overdrive. is possessed. <laughs> yeah. You never yeah. see anyone in it. So it could be. But it is like a relatable horror, though. Like you're oh my someone God. else's aggression on the road, like yeah. kind of taking you yeah. on. I mean, I've seen road rage. I've felt road rage when somebody cuts me off or yeah. acts like a dick. Yeah. I hate um, love triangle movies. And I hate movies where somebody just will not leave you alone. Like, that is my yeah. greatest... Like. This movie has barely any script, and I was just like, could barely watch it. I was so <laughs> tense. I think it's great, honestly. Like, but uh, yeah, yeah, I was also like, yeah. you know, it's a fun time. Yeah. On the on edge the entire time. Yeah, I don't know if you could call any Steven Spielberg like movie a cult movie, but this might be one. Yeah, like all the dual heads out there, this is for you. I mean, a lot of people obviously watched it. It was on TV, and then like was yeah. popular enough to have a theatrical run, but like. I don't. I don't feel like it's like as discussed as most. And of I feel stuff. like no. without Duel, would we have Jaws? No, definitely. I mean, obviously not. It's like his audition to make Jaws. I want him to remake this movie exactly, except the truck is a shark, like <laughs> on dry land in the desert. Chasing that sounds it. great. <laughs> I kind of like him most when he's making dumb genre stuff, just because that's the audience I am. So like, I love yeah. him in this mode. Yeah. And like, uh, the Lost World. Uh, with like the gymnastics girl like fighting the raptors like oh yeah he can be really unhinged sometimes and I I like it when he's having fun and I also agree that the script was good especially I mean there are basically three or four scenes of dialogue like the beginning where he's listening to the census and then the conversation with his (laughs) the census yeah like and I love when director or I guess writers include kind of this banal scene that does inform the rest of the movie, like the struggle over the head of the household um, where the guy is like um, filling out the census and he's like, well, my wife is the breadwinner. So should I call myself the head of the household? Like that's such a kind of specific iteration of like male fragility. Um, So I thought they did a really good job of like communicating those themes very quickly. And they're being pretty economical and only doing that a few times. Right. Like that gives him a lot of space to just show off what he can do with a camera. And he obviously had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. So I think it's a great marriage between those two people. The next most likely to director to win uh, this weekend is Kenneth Brana for Belfast, which is a movie I don't think any of us have any interest in seeing. So I don't know how y'all feel about Kenneth Branagh, but like, I don't, I don't really feel about you're right. I don't really <laughs> have a relationship with, any of his films, I know he did a lot of like Shakespeare adaptations, like you know Hamlet and Much okay. Ado About Nothing, yeah. and those never really interested me, even though I've heard that they're fantastic. The one that I remember from actually growing up, uh, my mom owned this movie from 1991 <laughs> called Dead Again. We watched it a lot when I was in like middle school, and so it was kind of fun to revisit it. It's the only film I've seen in his filmography where he plays at the like Hitchcockian, actually more like Brian De Palma kind of genre. This yeah. is like wholesome De Palma. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little too goofy and not, not sleazy enough to be De Palma, but it's the same 
kind of filmmaking. Yeah. And um, just a, a brief synopsis. Cause I don't want to, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil too much. Cause kind of the fun is watching the plot unfold. And it is like a dizzying plot. Lots of twists, lots of twists, lots of <laughs> layers um, between time and space and souls and gender, gender. And <laughs> <laughs> the way it starts is such a throwback to like movies you would see in the 1940s where it's like a newsreel. And this famous Russian composer, Roman Strauss, has been convicted of murdering his wife, Margaret, and he's sentenced to the electric chair. He's been found guilty. And then we jump forward to 1991, where there is a a woman who looks strikingly like Margaret, who shows up at an orphanage. She has no memory of who she is. She can't speak. She's having nightmares about some visions of a past life. And so the orphanage contacts uh, a detective by the name of Mike Church, also played by Kenneth Branagh. And um, he takes her to the, um, his friend, who's a photographer, played by Wayne Knight. Really creepy. Basic instincts, Wayne Knight. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, I guess, his shtick during this time. Um, and they put it out there, and they get a response from this guy who is a clairvoyant, or um, what would the technical term He's, he's a hypnotist. Hypnotist, right. And he th- seems to think like, that she has past life memories. And if she goes under hypnosis that we can discover, you know, her past lives and figure out what the hell is going on. Can we pause one second? Yeah. He's got two careers. He's a hypnotist. Right. And, and he's an also antique an antique dealer. <laughs> and he uses his hypnotism right. to uncover where antiques may have like yeah. landed in the past so God. he can go grab them and sell them. Everything you want in a man. Yeah. And that does... It's a weird grift. It is. And it comes into play in an interesting way yeah. that I won't spoil. So they start this regression therapy. She starts having these visions of when she was Margaret. And the film basically unfolds. They're trying to solve the murder mystery from the past to give them answers about what is happening in the present. And then also they start to fall in love, which is where the real dramatic tension happens. So Mike and Grace, she's called, they fall in love. But then there's also this stuff about karma and how souls that have been done wrong in the past will come back and enact revenge. And this creates tension in the relationship. And they're starting to not trust each other. And this hypnotherapist is kind of driving a wedge between them. That's essentially where I want to leave it because, the, again, <laughs> the fun of it is where that goes. Some of the twists are so nonsensical, too, where like they'll reveal something about who was who in the past. And yeah, I don't want to spoil the details because it's great. Yeah. But like it also has no bearing on anything. Like, it's like, whoa, that's weird. And then, like, you kind of forget about it because it doesn't change anyone's <laughs> characteristics or dynamics or anything. It's yeah. just odd in the moment. And then right. it just You're moves like, on to the next one. Huh. Oh, okay. Weird. Right. That's that's interesting. It's just, so I, watching this again, I was so glad that this is a great movie. Oh, it's so and fun. It yeah. held up, and it's so Fabulous. fun. And it really, like, fits so much of what I love. It is, like, a noir it is melodrama. It's also got like 
new agey souls and karma <laughs> and regression therapy. <laughs> so and many souls. <laughs> yeah. And, and then uh, souls getting swapped genders in new lives. Yeah. And crazy shit yeah. happens. But the way Kenneth Branagh kind of directs this is like, it's all straight faced. I mean, he's having fun with it, but he's not laughing at how ridiculous yeah. it is. Like, no. this is an earnest story. And I think that's what I like. In a lot of modern movies like this, they're kind of winking at you, like, see how ridiculous this is? And this one feels sincere. Yeah. And that, I think, is what really stood out to me. And it is, like, like I said, a dizzying, insane plot that he somehow pulls off. Because uh-huh. it's just chugging along and it gives you exposition where it needs to. Yeah. And it gets to where it needs to go. And there's some crazy shit in between. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great time. There's a great Robin Williams cameo. Oh, as yeah. a disgraced oh. therapist who like hangs out in a meat locker. Honestly, one of his better dramatic roles. <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah. a very strange yeah. presence in the film. Right. He's so weird. I'm like, wait, he was a therapist? Why is he cutting meat? <laughs> he's just well, surrounded he's by a disgraced therapist as well. When yeah. I was like, that's what as Mike is, sort of, <laughs> Mike is sort of questioning this whole like, man, is this hypnotherapy? Like, legit and he's like yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. totally, <laughs> totally <laughs> pursued it vouches, yeah. it all checks out <laughs> this movie is just such a good time because it feels like you are going through a puzzle with your boy Kenneth and you're you're kind of all figuring it out together it's kind of like you pick up a clue and you're like oh alright and then you just keep going and going mm-hmm. like it felt like a, a board game yeah. well, and it's different than some movies like this yeah. where you I get kind of angry because they knowingly withheld information. This plays out a little differently. We're like, because of the two timeframes and the flashbacks, you feel like you're kind of learning it with the characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As they're discovering it, but like, they're just as shocked as you are. I was laughing at the two timeline thing because there are a lot of attempts in the eighties and nineties to do these like neo-noir updates for like modern audiences and this is the most boneheaded like literal approach to that possible where it's like well how do we update it um let's just do both timelines at once <laughs> like we'll have the noir film right. running parallel to these characters who are reliving it in modern times it's so literal and straightforward but it's like so charming and how goofy it is yeah yeah and i like when movies have a ridiculous premise like the soul and we just on that's it on face value yeah there's a reincarnation. It's real. And those souls are <laughs> yeah. in 1991. Karma is real, but it also like doesn't work in the way that you think it does. Yeah. yeah. I came into this film ready to not like it because I, when I was a child, my mother lambasted Kenneth Branagh because she loved <laughs> Emma Thompson and he was such an asshole to her. So I was like, I hate Kenneth Branagh. And I've held fast to that my they were, entire wait, life. Wait, is that a real life thing? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. They were oh, married wow. at the time of yeah. this movie. She was in multiple movies of yeah. his, right? And, yeah. then, oh, wow. and then he cheated on her with Helena Bonham Carter. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so I really have never like seen that, him. Oh no, as if it's worse than if it was somebody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh no. Someone I like. <laughs> Not to me. But yeah, so I was just like, fuck Kenneth Branagh. And then this movie was so charming. Like yeah. I could not help but love it he's a good time guy yeah he's charming on like both sides of the camera like right the filmmaking is fun and goofy yeah and then he's actually like you want to hate him because he's like this like reagan arrow like frat boy kind of character but like he just babbles the whole time he won't stop talking 
And it's somehow charming. It's like, so I, charming. Yeah. That scene where they go to the cafe together and it's closed down and he's like, no, 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 let, let us keep it open. And then he's playing piano and just their like banter is really, really fun. And like the chemistry is, is mm-hmm. so real between them. He's like a puppy dog. Kind yeah, of character. for sure. Like he's like really excited and yeah. trying to like please everybody and like just kind of get by. Yeah. Like a little Labrador. <laughs> yeah. And then... Also, like, one of the things I feel like people talk about him is just, like, the theatricality and, like, how he basically is, like, a stage actor who is in movies somehow. Yeah. Um, And I like that he gets to play dress up in this with, like, his really fake beard in the past. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's playing this Russian, this very, like, passionate Russian composer. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of, like, old age makeup uh, from characters who survived the past timeline and stuff. Yeah. Well... There is a side character played by Andy Garcia. Oh my god! Who his makeup <laughs> in the future or in the modern version is so ghastly. <laughs> Haunting. And there, there's a it's horrible like theater level horrible scene where he smokes out of a hole in his throat. <laughs> that is oh, so classic. Bad. But I thought the 1940 stuff looked gorgeous too. Like to a point like it looks nice but then you go to that like masquerade ball and it's like the most like costume shop basic like i need 50 masks stacked oh for yeah, this, yeah. Uh, i thought that was so thing. cool no it's so corny it was like a party city scene yeah it was <laughs> i was thinking more like just the cinematography like yeah. it looked like a movie from the 40 i don't know like i haven't seen any other kenneth branagh movie so i don't know what to compare this to but like he directed the shit out of this one. I thought it was really, really fun. But I don't know. As fun as this is, like, it doesn't make me want to watch more Kenneth Branagh movies. No. I don't know what that's I feel, about. It feels like an anomaly. Yeah. This did push me, like, one centimeter towards watching his uh, Belfast. Because I actually am interested in the history of the Troubles. Um, but I was, I don't know. Now I feel like I have to give him a chance, but I probably still won't watch it. It's probably fine. Yeah. It's just like that movie that you think of as like the most cliche Oscars right. film. Yeah, And it's exactly. like, why is that competing with like right. Drive My Car and like Rich Pizza and like yeah. all these other movies that people actually enjoyed? Yeah. It's like Oscar ribbon ready in right. a little package. Yeah. yeah. Th- this is like cliche, but like, so many layers of cliches that it becomes like kind of absurd yeah and fun it's very charming um that's like one thing it has over De Palma like I really like De Palma I like how sleazy it is but like De Palma's not like really a crowd pleaser like yeah making you happy kind of like there's almost parts of this that feel like a rom-com or something yeah totally especially you know when they're the courting phase when they're like falling in love which if I had any criticism for the movie, it's like, I wish that would have been fleshed out for maybe a couple more scenes because it's really just like a blip because it's trying to move through this insane plot. Yeah. It's got a lot of twists to get out of the way. Got a lot of twists <laughs> to get out of the way. Well, speaking of directors that none of us have seen their movies before, <laughs> Ryazuki Hamaguchi is nominated for Drive My Car. Um, and it was the hardest director, I think, to pick a film from because we have no prior relationship to his works yeah it was a little easy because his number one movie that people really like is called happy hour i mean it is five hours long and i had already made everyone um watch one more movie than usual for this topic so i couldn't have done that to (laughs) y'all can't get away with that (laughs) Uh, i ended up picking another hitchcock homage though i picked a movie called osako one and two which has a lot to do with the vertigo template Mm -hmm. that we've talked about on the show before 
it's probably the closest thing he's made to a genre film because of that vertigo association. Hamaguchi's movies from what I can tell are very like internal dramas where like not a lot happens, but the emotions are very big and he's got this like quiet, like stabs to your heart without making like a big show of it. I, I really liked drive my car, by the way. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. I've I saw it's on HBO max it. now. So yeah. it's three hours long, but it's, it's worth the sit. Okay. I think. Uh, but you know, a lot of it is scenes of people practicing a checkoff play and like rehearsing for a checkoff staging, which is like, Sounds like a chore, but it's not. It's okay. <laughs> like very emotionally satisfying. And actually, I ended up liking Asako 1 and 2 a lot more than I expected to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about a woman who falls in love with a free spirit named Baku. Um, her name is Asako. Uh, she falls he- head over heels for this like DJ drifter cool guy mm-hmm. with like mussy hair who like it's just like instantly lovable even as like dj music is like really charming like happy pop music and they they don't even say anything to like it's a literally instant attraction and they kiss and it's that sort of love and he is a very hard person to pin down (laughs) like uh she is just like swooning over him and he's also really into her but is just more self-absorbed and just sort of like does whatever he wants so he'll Mm -hmm. he won't think of anything of like Oh, I went out to get groceries and I ended up in a bar with this really cool guy. So I went back to his apartment to drink more and like we were having such a good time talking. I didn't come home. Right. And didn't think to like let her know he wasn't coming back that night. Um, And one time his like sort of flightiness takes him out of her life entirely. He just disappears and she has no way to contact him and he's just gone. So she moves on with her life and moves from their small village to Tokyo and gets a job in this cafe in the middle of like the business district and next door there's a office where um this guy needs like coffee served for these like business pitch meetings and the guy is a dead ringer for baku mm-hmm. and that's because it's played by the same actor <laughs> but he's pretty good at distinguishing the two roles i don't think you ever like yeah. confuse them for each other um and this guy's a lot more just like normal like he's just like a stand-up uh. Like sweetheart, a genuine mm-hmm. dude. He was yeah. so sweet. Rock solid. Um, he eventually figures out that her initial attraction to him is because of Baku, because in the meantime, Baku has become a supermodel and <laughs> hot guy actor, like um, you know, sexy boy, uh, heartthrob character. So eventually he sees him on TV. He's like, Oh, they're from the same village. She was acting weird when we first met. Obviously, she has a past yeah. relationship with this guy. She called me Baku. Yeah, he remembers the name, yeah. too. But he sticks with her, and he's like, he doesn't mm-hmm. make a big deal of it. He waits for her to tell him instead of, like, pushing the issue. And then, eventually, Baku comes back in her life, and she completely betrays the new guy, just runs away with him, and then has to deal with the fallout of just, like, ruining this, like, stable relationship for this much more exciting heartthrob character. Yeah. This movie has pretty big stabs to your heart, even mm-hmm. though it feels like not a lot happens in it. Um, and I, I, there were several scenes I could point out that like really floored me emotionally. But I, I don't know. I didn't know if y'all had the same like kind of like soaring emotions watching this that I did. I thought it was great. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very quiet. But I, it's not that I didn't like it. I just it just felt yeah. It's a very quiet movie and. I just felt like I was watching people and not like characters in a sense. But yeah, I was surprised at first when I saw like how long it was and everything. I'm like, oh no. Like, not that it's like super long, but like 
the pace of it with the time, I was kind of concerned, but I kind of enjoyed like the slow hypnotic mm-hmm. pace. And um, I really like the cat. Oh yeah, yeah. great, great cat. <laughs> that's a good oh, cat. that cat. I feel like that's one of the like stabs to your heart is like them negotiating what to do with this cat. Yeah, oh, the cat just didn't look like cared though. Especially towards the end where he, he tells her that get out of here, like I'm done with you. I I got rid of the cat, and she goes searching for the cat and comes back to their apartment, and uh, he hands her the cat. Yeah, there, and it's like Ugh. you know and. A guy's trying to act tough, like I'm right. an asshole. Fuck you! And then, really, care. he can't do it because yeah. he's like he a good guy. guy. Yeah, <laughs> I loved this movie. Awesome. I thought it was getting at something really true that not a lot of films really talk about. That difference between instant head over heels. Mm-hmm. I just look at you and I'm in love with you, and the more mature, stable sort of relationship where it becomes not about the self, but it's being selfless. And I thought there was also a lot of interesting stuff I had to say, maybe about like the cultural differences between how we betray love in the West versus it seems more of service in Eastern countries. So, and yeah, and there was a lot of like emotional depth. I thought it was good. It's really good. So I have dreams sometimes where I like do something to totally betray and hurt somebody and like there's fallout from that and they're like extremely hurt and angry at me and then I wake up and it's like such a relief that that didn't happen and it's like the same feeling I got in that scene where she just leaves. It's like you just see her totally shatter all of the relationships that she has. And I have not seen that portrayed like in such a heartbreaking way in film before, I think. So at the end of the film, like she comes back to him. She feels like she's made a mistake going off with Baku. And it's like clear that like she's just totally betrayed his trust, but he still loves her. So he's like trying to push her out, but also like, allowing her to come back and you know basically saying I'll never be able to trust you again and like I just feel like in western romances like this there aren't those consequences it's like either you go back to the one that like sparked that passion in you and the stable guy or girl like forgives you basically they're like i understand why yeah exactly or it's like you um there's a transgression and then you say oh i'm so sorry you know it it was such a huge mistake i love you i'll never do it again and again everything is forgiven and that's just like not how it works at all yeah it was really getting at like how it feels to be cheated on and to do the cheating yeah where it's like it was instant as soon as she saw baku back in her life like i can't help it and yeah it's a split second decision based on like we only see Baku for the first 10 minutes of this movie, like before the credits start. And then we, you know, we see this like very intense love, but it's like short lived. And then there's like a good chunk, like an hour of the film where you're just watching her and this new guy, like really build a relationship and like start a life together and to see her throw it all away. And then, you know, get back into his life, but the trust isn't there. Like that is what cheating does to mm-hmm. a relationship. It's like, and mm. you feel it from your, like your heart, you know, Oh, I want to act on these feelings. And then 
you've ruined this thing that you've taken years to build. And he tells her at the end, like, I probably won't be able to ever trust you again. And you also destroy the relationships that were kind of like built around the main relationship that you're betraying. Like all of her friends and um, what what is his name? Ryo Hie? Mm. like they all do things together they go rock climbing that one of her friends is an actress they go to her show so they have this like shared life and she when she betrays him she's also betraying all of her friends and the community they have together and her friend calls her and asks her to come back she says no and then her friend says don't ever contact us again you know just like that feeling of like this love is actually the thing that i need to make me happy and, you know, fuck everybody else. And then the, like, realization that you were totally wrong is, like, so, so hard to watch. I think it's, like, a very, like, smart way to think about relationships, though, because, like you were saying earlier, like, the Western ideal in romance movies is, like, you instantly know who you're supposed to be with, you fall in love with them, and then everything is, like, you're swept off your feet, that's Mm -hmm, your soulmate, mm -hmm. you stick with them. But, like, I don't know, actual, like, long-term partnerships or something you have to work through shit in. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, that last scene is, like, very complicated. It's, like, it's not easy. It's something they have to work through. And Mm -hmm. whether or not they stick together, we don't get to know. But, like, that is a lot more real than the Baku stuff, which feels like a weird dream. Like you were saying earlier, like, the logic of it. It's a calm movie, so, like, it's not how we normally talk about dream logic movies. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, Paprika or something where, like, there's just, like, surreal imagery all the time. Right. But it feels like a fairy tale or something. Right. And, like, she even says, as they're running away, like, everything up till now feels like a dream to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, like, comes down from that euphoria right. very quickly. But, yeah, I, I found the contrast between the two men, like, a commentary on the ideal of romance versus what it actually is. Right. Uh, and like it's a it's like a mature moment for her to like step away from the the swooning like instant connection thing and like go back to work on the real shit. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's what the title is because it's not Baku one and two. Right. It's Asako one and two. So like, there's two versions of her in this as well. Yeah, her performance is pretty subdued for the most part. But like, yeah, it's her journey of growth and realizing what she wants out of a relationship and i guess appreciating what she had too it's also a movie of like small moments which i I wanted to come back to like the parts that like really got to me and it's like stuff that doesn't sound significant at all but like when he proposes marriage to her they're washing dishes Mm -hmm. and she decides to confess to him in that moment and what she does is she turns off the water so like he's stuck holding the soapy dish in his hands Mm -hmm. And the tension of that moment, like, choked me. Like, just sitting Mm. there waiting for her to confess and, like, not knowing how his reaction to, like, her reason for falling in love with him in the first place. Like, I felt like I was, like, just holding my breath waiting for that to play out. It's like Uh, you were holding the dish with him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just felt stuck and, like, suspended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then there's this other scene where those friends that she betrays that you were mentioning, one of them makes herself very vulnerable by playing this, like taped version of her stage Mm -hmm. acting and the guy that's kind of like negging flirting with her basically just unloads on her and basically calls her like phony and saying that her acting is like an act of vanity and like people who praise her are just flattering her and not actually interacting with her art 
And then she calls him out on that and he has to talk about his own vanity and like mm-hmm. his jealousy of like her vulnerability. That scene fucking wrecked me. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I was just like so emotional. Because that's a fucking nightmare. Someone like just completely dressing you down right. after you make yourself vulnerable to like with your art like that. It's, it's so hard to put yourself out there and mm-hmm. like for someone to reject you so coldly hurt to watch. Well, it did, but it's also interesting that they end up together I think that's also getting at what we were talking about earlier. I think that final scene really hit it home for me where there's a lot of symbolism with like water and her and Baku, you know, she asked him about the Northern lights and they're going to see the ocean. So that compared to at the end with, um, I think it's Ryohei. Ryohei. Yeah. Um, there's a dirty, disgusting like river and <laughs> that runs by their apartment and one of them says like yeah that river is dirty <laughs> and and then the other one says like but it's beautiful and so that like and that's the last shot of the whole movie i think that really is getting at the heart of it like like that couple that's dressing each other down like that was painful and for whatever reason they decided like well let's still try to date and see if it works and they put in the effort And they seem to be happy at the end of the film and they have a baby and, you know, the water is murky, but it's beautiful. I think, I don't know, something about that really like connected with me. Yeah. Yeah. We do have one more, the least likely to win best director this weekend. (laughs) A little old nobody who's never made anything useful. No, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, nominated for Licorice Pizza. And he's been nominated for pretty much every movie he's made since Boogie Nights and has won no Oscars since then. That is a crime. What a (laughs) shame. Um, Yeah. So I chose Hard Eight. I can't remember now if this was his debut. I think so. Okay. Um, Directed in 1996. Um, One note that I want to make is based on this movie, I think Paul Thomas Anderson might be biased towards actors with three names or like three, <laughs> he has so it has philip baker hall who's amazing john c Riley, um samuel jackson <laughs> and philip seymour hoffman in like a very tiny cameo and gwyneth goop paltrow yeah Gw- gwyneth <laughs> goop <laughs> paltrow um so the main characters are philip baker hall who plays sydney he's this like old timer um gambler potentially kind of a mob guy and john c Riley, who is so phil baker hall meets john at a diner in i think they're in like just outside of las vegas or near las vegas um john c Riley looks down on his luck he's just sitting outside <laughs> the cafe and um sydney comes up to him asks him if he wants a cup of coffee and he kind of takes him under his wing um he brings him to las vegas and shows him how to get a free room by i mean basically he's like running a scam with a uh a rate card and like making it look like he's spent a lot of money at this casino then the film cuts to two years later john has kind of become this like established gambler in reno um sydney is visiting him he meets a woman named clementine who is played by gwyneth paltrow who is a waitress at this like bar casino and is also a prostitute sydney kind of develops a soft spot for clementine clementine also has a crush on john so sydney kind of like connects them they are um two very emotional very dumb people (laughs) <laughs> and uh, John is also like he's 
also getting involved with other powerful people in Reno that are like, Sydney is kind of like old Vegas. And then this guy, Jimmy, played by Samuel Jackson, is like this new, like kind of sharper, mm-hmm. edgier breed of guy. And John and Clementine get married. They um, hold a guy hostage because he has sex with Clementine and then won't give her money. And Sydney, like, basically kind of bails them out, gets them to leave Reno. And then in the meantime, they like go to Niagara Falls and Jimmy kind of uh, blackmails Sydney for some dirt that he has on him related to John, whose um, family is all, uh, they're all gone. So I thought this was a pretty interesting movie. It's a lot of like relationships, being formed by people that have no like family relationships. It's like found family, but also there are like complex power dynamics between everybody. And like all of the relationships are transactional um, while they're still tender. Um, Sydney is totally disconnected from his children and his children are like the same age as John and Clementine. So it's like, he's almost trying to live out his fatherhood fantasies through them, but Arguably, he's making their lives worse, especially by, like, connecting them. But I thought it was a pretty interesting Paul Thomas Anderson. I like his movies. This is probably, like, middle tier for me. But I did think it was a very good, like, Vegas Reno movie. It really captured, like, the vibe of of that place. And I, I like that noir thing where it's just, like, cool, slimy characters hanging out, talking cool and that it's like a hangout movie for a good chunk of it and then there's that really like intense scene in the hotel where like all hell breaks loose and he does those sort of scenes yeah like the firecrackers and boogie nights right yeah he does that really well uh-huh. too so there's that and it was just like an interesting character study and then, yeah. then the third act it goes a little too hard in like connecting the dots and like making yeah. the connections like very clear which i don't think he would ever do again like he's only gotten more messy in his narrative since mm-hmm. then like he doesn't feel the need to like reset the conventions in the third act yeah. the way this one does yeah it felt really outside of anything else he's done where it's like a little tight noir and then after this he does what boogie nights which is a sprawling opus and then still my favorite movie from him to be great honest. Yeah. yeah and then like magnolia and there will be blood and you know just to think he started in such a small contained little film which is mm-hmm. still like really cool to look at too i mean it's you could tell he's a talented director it's just not what he normally does i feel like he's still got that scorsese and tarantino influence kind of like sitting on his shoulders Mm -hmm. a little too much here but i think the way he uses actors is like already great yeah every single performer in here is in like top form like I don't know if I'd ever rate this like one of his best movies, but I could see any one of those actors you'd be like, oh, that's one of their best roles. Yeah, I thought I was like blown away by Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, I thought everybody was good, but all of the I've seen all of those actors having great performances. I haven't seen Gwyneth Paltrow in that many, but I thought she really like inhabited Clementine. Like she just did a great job. She's a great actor. Like I've seen her. Every movie I've seen her in, I've enjoyed her performance. She's in, in one it. of my favorite films. It's What's that? The movie Hush with um, Jessica Lange. Never seen it. It's a thriller. Do that one. 
at, f- at first it kind of felt like Sydney was like playing the Sims in real life. <laughs> Like, that's how I took it, where that's it's like, great. I'm going to build this person, and then right. I'm going to find him yeah. a lady, oh my God. and they're going to get married. It was that just is like watching him do that. An amazing analogy. That is so <laughs> true. He's just trying to, like, match these people up. He reminded me of the Great Gadzoo from um, Flintstones. Like, he feels like a magical <laughs> character that no one else can see. Like... He just feels so separate from the world. Like only yeah. John C. Riley can hear this like like spiritual <laughs> yes. guide. Especially like whenever he was like training him how to gamble. Yeah. Like he was like telling him like what to do. And then he was coming up to him and he's like, all right, so what do you got? All right, I need you to go back there. And I'm like, are they listening to him? But I love that like, you know, he's into some shady shit, but you're like, Dan, this guy speaks to like moral authority. Yeah. Like he's super nice and he like kind of and seems like he has like a conscience and he stands yeah. for something he knows like, what's right he and shuts wrong. people down when they like speak like degradingly about like women and stuff right. and i'm like wow look at this guy but that's why i do think the ending does kind of work when you see him in his like he's more human form. at the end yeah yeah, yeah. like oh that's what this right. guy is capable of yeah yeah he's like very i don't know if i would say kind yeah he is kind he's very he's like blunt and kind of yeah. gruff but then you get a reason for why he's yes kind of this and it kind of ruins it a yeah little exactly bit. and um he's also like not like he's constantly losing when he gambles i mean he's not gambling very much it's clear that he's like he's not stupid but like he does he bets the hard eight which mm-hmm. is there and i looked this up um and there is a uh about three percent chance of Getting a hard eight because oh, wow. you have to get the four and then another four. Unless you're Philip Seymour Hoffman, then you could just roll like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he was wild. That was a crazy cameo. He's got one scene and it is kind of a star yeah. making like right. stop the presses, <laughs> watch this lunatic. <laughs> we watched him in uh, My Boyfriend's Back from around the same time. Oh, yeah. And he's also unhinged in that as well. Like, I don't ever remember him being <laughs> rabid, but apparently yeah. in his early films. Because that's yeah. how he just got attention. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I have two minutes. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to make the most yeah. of it. But so he's, it's like, it's almost like he's over the hill, maybe. Like, people keep calling him old timer. Like, he was an institutional yeah. person. He's like, not winning a gamble. He's like playing Keno and losing. And then, yeah, it's like you realize who he is and what he's capable of at the end and that he is like heartless and that's how he's gotten to where he is. And it's like he's kind of trying to do it differently, but essentially he hasn't changed. That was the performance that I thought stood out the most. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow is very good. Everybody's very good in this. Yeah. Even John C. Riley at first, I was like, Oh, wow, it's fun that, like, there was an early performance of him as a dramatic actor before he got to be funny. Mm-hmm. And then three minutes later, he's describing how he knows three different kinds of karate. And one of them <laughs> is one regular is karate. karate. Right? <laughs> uh, but uh, Philip Baker Hall, I thought, just, like, magical? I don't know. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was just walking around, like, floating through Reno. There's yeah. something about his calm that I was, like, really jealous of, like... I wish I could react to things without smirking and making like a nervous joke out of it. (laughs) He has no outward sense of humor for like the first hour. He gets amused later on once like the walls start breaking down. Yeah, right. um, I just found him like, I don't know, magnetic. Right. Mm -hmm. Very pragmatic. Like I I trusted what he was saying and I'm like, I bet you 
I can do this. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like he makes it seem so easy. Right. <laughs> can you bring me under your wing, please? <laughs> right. Philip? Just like I don't did not anybody. pay close enough attention to the um rate card grift. I did oh, not I did. get it. <laughs> I did. Like, do they is that like will they catch you? Like, do you have limits? Well, I think nowadays though, like Maybe. especially yeah. if you go to a casino on like the Vegas strip, you have to spend so much money. Yeah. To get comped a room. Like it's it wouldn't just be a few thousand dollars. You'd have to spend like twenty, thirty thousand uh, well, dollars. I was thinking of like going to the silver slipper to get the crab legs. And, <laughs> you might be able to pull what, off a heist there? of the silver slipper. <laughs> I don't want anyone to hear this, but I think I might chest. try or yeah. treasure chest or um something like that where I'm like, Yeah, that makes sense. Like you you win a little, you cash it in, and you put it on and you just keep going and going and going and going. I didn't love Card Counter that came out last year, the Paul oh, Schrader. Oh, I saw that. But one thing that both these mo- movies capture is like how depressing Vegas is. It's not like, the <laughs> yeah, there's flashing lights and all this, but like, man, this sucks. What a drag. And like, that's sort of how I felt like, man, these people are stuck in this town. And yeah, especially if you're a lifer. If you yeah. live there, yeah. And this made me kind of want to go and like particularly stay at that like circus place. Mm-hmm. Oh, Circus um, Circus. Yeah, yeah, it looks wild. Great name. Yeah. <laughs> I would be at Circus Circus, and there would be a bunch of like Sydney's just floating around the strip and be like, hey, Brittany, you want to come play these slots? Let me show you a trick. And, <laughs> you know, and then I become this like queen of Las Vegas. <laughs> yes. I mean, and it, it does capture the fact that like in Vegas, everyone does have a grift. Like yeah. it's all about money. Like who are you going to con to get up on this? And, yeah. <laughs> what, what I found like really sad about it was when Sydney gets blackmailed and he can't fathom getting ten thousand dollars because right. you think of him as this really suave guy who's yeah. like figured right. out the system and like and he's got six grand yeah he's barely getting by that's the sad yeah. part where yeah. i'm like oh wow and then that's why you know he's desperate right. he's right. Like, get that i money cannot back. <laughs> let this money go <laughs> i don't know about y'all but like i have greatly enjoyed this experience i could do this every year like these are I think yeah. it's fun. Five talented directors. And, and I feel like I uh, know them and I could speak to their work without yeah. watching their Oscar nominated movies. Well, yeah, there's like some kind of freedom to like having that arbitrary selection of directors to focus on, but not yeah. having to watch Belfast or right. West Side Story or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. especially with Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson, like watching where they came from and we've seen so many of their mm. movies and to see like the little things that make their movies stand out in that mm-hmm. very first film are, and they just carry it through. Like there was a lot of that in Hard Eight, like really clever cuts, yeah, and shots. And I was like, "Damn, that's a good filmmaker." Yeah, dude. yeah. like oh, there was one cut that made me laugh like immediately when oh, they're the driving. Yeah, yeah, when they're driving and. John C. Riley's in the back seat and he's like a little uncomfortable. He was like, hey, can we pull over for a second? And then it like it's a hard cut to him in the front seat. It's just like so like such clever, lighthearted filmmaking. And I thought it was a really fun detail. Yeah. yeah. What a great journey. <laughs> you know, I I don't typically like know that much about like I've, there's like a few like a handful of directors that I'm into and I could be like, oh, yeah, I love like their movies and blah, blah, blah. But I don't, you know what I mean? Like if someone like mm-hmm. says like a name like this out loud, I'd be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like Jane Campion, what, you know, but now I'm, I'm in it. Yeah. 
I expected to go into this wanting to see more of her stuff, but I kind of came out of wanting to see more Hamaguchi movies. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That was my big surprise in this group. Yeah. I mean, he's like, I'm okay with in the cut. I liked <laughs> it. Power yeah. of the dog. I, I, like, I, I get you, girl. I just thought it was like, <laughs> I thought Power of the Dog was much better in that it played with a mm. genre and it's, you know, through this like yeah. queer lens. Yes. And I just thought it like did the same sort of thing, just much, it was more entertaining and more, not palatable, but yeah, I guess palatable. Um, I would be more interested to see more of her work just because I feel like she's a challenging yeah. filmmaker. Yeah. The piano scares me, which is probably a good thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I should be a little. I like strangely want to see more Kenneth. <laughs> yeah, that was. I don't know if I want to see more Kenneth Branagh, but that was the biggest upset for me. I was I liked it so much more than I thought I would, kind of begrudgingly. Yeah, if he does another kind of like genre film like Dead Again, I'm I'm there for it. But it doesn't seem like he has his two Agatha Christie movies that just came out look kind of over the top. I want to watch the Murder, murder on the Mystery Orient Express yeah. one. That looks fun. I just never got around to it. I wanted to see it just for Michelle Pfeiffer post-mother because I was so hungry for more of that like bitchy side-eye. <laughs> uh, but, you know, then she came out with... Um, French Exit? French Exit, and I was already satiated. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I like I said, I watched 10 Oscar-nominated movies just so I would have something to think about during the ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to post in the show notes... Just a link to a quick roundup of everything I Wonderful. saw. Wonderful. Instead of uh, bombarding with you in audio. Thank you for doing the work. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm going to read it. And next week was my pick as well. I picked a slasher from the late 90s starring Brittany Murphy that's been missing. Like, its distribution history is very shoddy. It's called Cherry Falls. Oh, my um, God. And now it's just on Shutter. <gasps> uh, after, like, years of being unavailable since, like, VHS, I think. That does sound like a Brittany Murphy slasher. <laughs> Um, it's about a serial killer that only kills virgins so that all the high schoolers try to have sex as quickly as possible <laughs> so that they don't get Amazing. killed. It's Wonderful. so trashy. Brittany Murphy is very late 90s goth in it. Oh, um, so great. It's Sweet. worth a watch. It's also just as icky as In the Cut. So if like, oh boy, if uh, In the Cut, you know, turns you off, I- I'm not saying they're the same movie, but it's the same kind of sleaze. Uh, cool. So, you know, be forewarned. It's not like a wholesome good time. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> It's definitely worth watching. It'll be a fun discussion. And in the meantime, check out SwampFlix.com. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. I've got the Oscar fever. Hope you got it, too. Pour me some bubbly now. It's all you got to do. It's Christmas for Tinseltown. The Academy Awards. Pop up some popcorn. Welcome aboard. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna lose it? I got the Oscar fever. Hope you got it too. Here we go.